Hey guys, before we get started, I wanted to talk about a skincare line I've been using. We all know that lines and wrinkles are a normal part of aging, and as I'm moving toward my mid-40s, I'm trying to age as gracefully as possible, so I started to consider Botox. Not wanting to make that financial commitment, I started to look into alternative options and found Frownies Facial Patches. I've been personally using Frownies Facial Patches, their apple serum and under-eye gels for about a year. I wear the facial patches while I sleep. They hold your facial muscles in place and train them to lie in a smooth, flat position. I started wearing them five nights a week and have since transitioned to using them once or twice a week for maintenance. I've noticed a big reduction in my forehead lines, and I use their apple serum and under eye patches to target other facial lines. If you want to try them out, just use a link in our show notes and get 10% off, or just use our code CRIME10. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Uh, we are a weekly... Oh, did you want to say something? I was just going to say hi, Mike. Yeah, I, I don't usually cut you off there, but no. I saw that you were so excited to say it. And hello. Thank you for saying so. Hi, Mike. We are a weekly true crime podcast. A husband and wife. Been married for 20 plus years. And um, we come at you every Sunday around 9 a.m. Uh, those are our free episodes. And then if you really like what you're hearing, there's over 20 or 30, over 30 episodes available on Patreon. So um, go ahead and check us out over there. Um, exclusive stuff but uh yeah how's it going it's going yeah okay um i'm very excited if you're watching the youtube version of this i'm decked out in my chicago bears shirt and hat also i haven't had a haircut in probably a month so um you know since my last uh, work conference actually so that was probably oh no i didn't get one before that one so it's been like a month and a half Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. i look like a um just a, a vagrant i would say just it's not a good look so if you look at me and don't like what you see don't worry I think the same thing when I look in the mirror every day. So it's it's uh, it's rough. And I apologize to you. Yeah, you should because it's hard to look at. So like the neck hair on my back is just like out of control. Not on my back. It's on my neck. It's on your neck. Yeah, but yeah. your head connects to your back hair. So that's really easy to do. I usually just go in the shower and shave that one a little bit. Yeah, but, but you haven't. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty easy to do, but I haven't done it. Yeah, it's one of those things. So <laughs> Hey, uh, I still love you. I appreciate that very much. Um, You know, but at least I'm still like taking care of myself. Showers almost Th- that's, daily. That's important. Almost daily at this point, so it's good. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, you sound but, like a real uh, dirtbag right about now. Well, and now I'm thinking about all the people that listen to this show that I work with, and they're like, wow, Mike's a real, real scumbag. <laughs> so you're right. You're absolutely correct, and I apologize. But at least we work from home, so you don't have to be with me. Like, you can see me on, on Zoom, and it, it, I clean up okay. Yeah, but, you do okay. Yeah. So how are you doing? I'm doing enough, pretty good. I'm enjoying my Starbucks drink. It's delicious. Yeah, I got that this morning. Iced Americano with some cinnamon cold foam and some apple brown sugar syrup in this bad boy yeah it's a custom drink and it's quite delicious you found that on pinterest i believe. I did and i can only drink like maybe half so i have half today and half tomorrow because the caffeine just like i hit a wall yeah and do you want to tell the listeners what it's made out of in case they wanted to try the same thing i did i said it was an iced americano with uh cinnamon cold foam and light ice and four pumps of apple brown sugar syrup and just a splash of cream. Oh, you said all those things. I, don't I did remember say that. 99% of those oh, things. You said four pumps of apple brown sugar, <laughs> did you? Son of a bitch. Okay, if we can rewind the tape real quick, I'll see that we did not say that. And it turns out that if somebody wanted to order that, now they could order the exact same thing. You see where I'm coming from, sweetheart? It is pretty caffeinated. Um, I It hits me for sure, because I've already had like maybe a cup and a half of coffee Who am I? on top um, of this. I already said what I was drinking. <laughs> that, that's you. Just so that's you know. me. That's apparently my voice. Yeah, and uh, the nice thing about this 
is you're going to have to use the restroom, which you did like twice right before this recording. Well, this is a disaster because I've drank. I've had nothing but liquids today. I've had coffee. I've had the Starbucks drink. I've had water and I had a smoothie. Ooh. So we are in trouble. Liquids. And if I get through this episode without having to get up, it's going to be an am- amazing feat. What's nice to be uh, married to you. One of the many nice things is that every single place we go, you know where the bathroom is. Yes. Because you use it. And I, I read something that it has to take like it should take a urination should take about 21 seconds i don't know why it's 21 it's probably easier to remember but you know i counted mine i'm like yep right on basically and yours is like seven seconds (laughs) maybe but it's a lot yeah you know not to get too technical but but. i'm sorry even in the morning it's not 21 seconds i'm not a friggin camel like you hey if you guys could go ahead and just record how long it takes you to urinate and then just report back to us on instagram or something i'd I'd be curious well i did tell my coworkers about that and they were counting when they were going and they're like nope not 21 what is that like 14 at least Uh, maybe 12 12 okay maybe it's different i mean i i mean you go to the bathroom like twice a day it's like i'm sorry you might go into kidney failure well i think it's okay as long as it's clear which mine is so i'm good yeah i don't know how you do it but yeah, so that's anyways. neither here nor there right you ready to get into this thing i think i'm ready to go okay. so we'll do this so this is actually a listener suggestion from monique so thank you monique this is the colombo family massacre and it's just a tragic story so on friday may 7th 1976 officer joseph giuliano of chicago police department received a call from a dispatch at about 2 p.m. So he was being told that there was a suspicious car parked at 140 South Whipple in Chicago. When he arrived, he saw a red 1972 Thunderbird with an Elk Grove Village sticker in the front window. The car lacked hubcaps, the right front window had been busted and covered with a piece of cardboard, and the ignition had been pulled. The car hadn't been stripped, so the officer concluded that whoever had stolen the car was an amateur because they would have taken more had they known what they were doing. So through a check with headquarters, it was determined that the car was never reported stolen. It was registered to Frank Colombo of Elk Grove Village, which is a suburb about 20 miles away from where the car was found. I'm very familiar with Elk Grove Village. We are from the Chicago suburbs. My parents owned a business in Elk Grove Village for many years, so I spent a lot of time in that suburb. And a close friend, uh, his wife is from Elk Grove Village. Okay. So Elk Grove Village was once home to farmers and German immigrants, but eventually developed into a residential community. The population doubled in about the 1960s as the village expanded its roads, new housing and schools, as well as businesses. Our friend's wife is German, interestingly enough. so am I. Yeah, how about that? So in 1976, at the time of this story, Elk Grove Village was considered a safe haven from the crime that tended to plague the city of Chicago. So car owner Frank Colombo was a successful auto part salesman who Officer Giuliano tried to call for over an hour to let him know that his car was out in Chicago. But at the time he was calling, he was only receiving a busy signal. The officer transmitted the information to the Elk Grove Village Police Department, and at about 4.45 p.m., an officer was dispatched to the Colombo home at 55 Brantwood Avenue to let the residents know about the car. So as the officer arrived, he immediately noted that there were about three days' worth of newspapers sitting on the front porch. The storm door was closed and unlocked. The front door was actually ajar. So the officers knock. He starts knocking on the front door. Nobody was coming to the door. All was quiet, but he could hear a dog barking from the inside of the house. So the officer called for backup at that point. While he waited, he walked the perimeter of the home. He saw that there were no cars parked on the driveway or in the garage. Other than the front door being ajar, the rest of the windows and doors appeared intact and secure. When the backup officer arrived, they entered the Colombo home at that point. 
So when they're in case, you want to make sure that nobody's still in there. Yeah, it's a safety check at that point. Yeah, something bad's happening. You see the newspapers piled up. I mean, the doors open. Yeah, something something not good. So police were met with a truly horrific scene. They first found 43 year old Frank Colombo lying on his back in the living room with a two inch slash to his throat. He was dressed in a T-shirt, plaid pants and socks and was surrounded by broken glass and a torn and bloodied lampshade was laying on the floor nearby. It was clear that he had been dead for days. So they moved on throughout the house and they found Frank's wife, who was 40-year-old Mary. She was lying on her back on the landing outside the bathroom with a bullet wound between her eyes and a one-inch slash wound to her throat. Jeez. Part of an artificial fern plant and a bloodied magazine was laying next to her body. Again, just like her husband, broken glass was scattered around her as well as beads that were strewn near her head. The officers immediately called for an investigative unit and evidence technicians arrived. So at about 5 p.m., investigator Raymond Rose was first to arrive to the scene from the Elk Grove Village PD. He viewed the bodies of Frank and Mary and noted that Mary still wore her large diamond wedding ring, excuse me, easy for me to say, on her left hand. Her purse was located in the bathroom. Again, she was found right outside the bathroom. It had fallen to the floor and the contents had spilled out. There was also a cigarette case and an ashtray in the bathroom. As Rose continued his investigation, he found four human teeth lying between the top of the stairs and the wall. He tragically found 13-year-old Michael Colombo lying on his back in his bedroom on his floor wearing a white t-shirt and blue sweatpants. I mean, it's obviously sad anybody that's in this position, but especially children. Mm -hmm. A family in their own home just being brutally murdered. So his head was covered in blood and it appeared that there was a bullet wound to the left side of his head and a second one on his back. He was also found to have a multitude of stab wounds to his neck and chest and a pair of gold-plated scissors were found on his desk and a marbled base bowling trophy were right there by his body. And both items were soaked with blood so you could tell that these items had been used as weapons. So as Rose continued through the house, he found a bloodied and crumpled magazine Loose coins, beads, a portion of like multiple artificial ferns were scattered around the floor of the foyer. The kitchen garbage had been scattered across the floor. It was bloodied. One of the kitchen cabinets was left open. The phone was off the hook. And of course, we knew that because when the officer was initially trying to call, he was met with a busy signal. They had a personal phone directory on the counter, and it was open to a page of the name and number of Frank and Mary's oldest child written on the page. So in the upstairs primary bedroom, the covers were found pulled back with the sheets smooth. It looked like somebody was basically getting ready for bed, but they had yet to get into bed. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Mary was found outside the bathroom and she was wearing her bathrobe. So it was likely that they were getting ready for bed when this happened. And quite a struggle, obviously, too. Mm -hmm. So the room itself, this primary bedroom was tidy. It was orderly. It did not appear to have been ransacked. A bedside alarm clock was buzzing. It had been set for 9 a.m. Outside the house, investigators found a nine-inch knife laying in the front stoop, as well as a steak knife in the rock garden. It sounded like none of these knives had blood on them. So it was clear to see that valuables within the home had been left untouched. In addition to the diamond ring that Mary wore, they also found a portable co- or multiple portable colored TV sets. And this, again, is 1976. Yeah. So, so they're probably at least a few hundred bucks and, mm-hmm. or maybe a VCR. Or so, you know, something like that. That stuff's really high end. Yeah. I remember, like, 
I swear when VCRs came out, they were like over $1,000. I know they were. And my dad had one. I was like, well, you're crazy. I didn't think that then. But now that I'm looking back, I'm like, wow, holy cow. Yeah, crazy. So they also found a CB radio, an 8-track recorder, stereo equipment, cameras, projectors, a forty caliber shotgun, and two air rifles. So basically lots of valuables that were not taken. Yes. So there was also a safe that was there. It had not been touched. You could tell they nobody tried to pry it open. The safe contained just about $5,000, which is a lot to this day. It's about $26,862 in today's money. Wow. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So Rose felt that because the home's windows were intact, the back door was unlocked, the front door showed no signs of forced entry, the phone line remained functioning, on top of the fact that none of the family's valuables had been taken, that clearly robbery did not seem to be the motive in this situation. Yeah, this is somebody that's targeting them and Mm -hmm. wants them dead. So Rose was not able to locate Frank and Mary's 19-year-old daughter, Patricia or Patty Colombo. And she's the one that was on that contact address? Yes. That personal address book was open to her name. So detectives eventually tracked Patty down. They called her to the station for questioning. When Patty arrived and was made aware of what happened to her family, she did not appear to be outwardly distraught with the horrific news that her mother, her father, and her 13-year-old brother had been brutalized in their own home okay that's just absolutely nuts again we say it every time you can't you know predict how everybody's going to act when they get some horrible news but just naturally i mean we can all put ourselves in that position you get a call that your whole family's been murdered at least like shock you're just like whoa shock and disbelief i can't i wouldn't be able to think for at least a minute and a half like two minutes just hold on just stop talking because whatever you're saying i can't hear Mm -hmm. right now i just there's something in my brain that's just not working you know it's kind of like that i mean we tell these horrible stories and that happens just imagine if it's somebody in your family no i can't even and i never want to imagine it no so she informed police very quickly that her father had ties to the mob and that frank ran a mob chop shop for stolen cars behind his auto parts store that he owned and it was her theory right away that this was the cause of her family's murders oh like oh yeah yeah my dad's in the mob that's probably what happened and then yeah they probably killed my mom and brother too Mm -hmm. (laughs) like just very aloof so of course detectives made note of her story as well as the fact that patty was openly flirting with male officers wow um i'm sorry you've just found out that your your whole family has been wiped out brutally and you're gonna have it within you to flirt that's crazy i mean that's just crazy So the autopsies were completed on Saturday, May 8th. This is the day after their bodies were found. This was done by the chief medical examiner of Cook County. Frank's body was found to have irregular lacerations from a blunt object, um, likely the heavy crystal lamp or a bowling trophy that was also found near Michael's body was the source of this. Frank had suffered four gunshot wounds, one to the right side of his face, one to the left side of his face, one to his lower lip, and one to the left side of his head behind his ear. That's crazy. Overkill. Yeah. So he had not only been shot four times in the head, but he had been brutally beaten with the base of likely the crystal lamp. And we heard about the laceration on his neck, too. Yes. Whatever that might have been. I don't know. Maybe it was a bullet that came through, but... Man, that's that's brutal. I mean, just beyond. And like they always say, overkill, crime of passion. So now we're definitely sure that this is not a robbery because on top of nothing being taken, you wouldn't see overkill like this. Yeah. 
So he had also sustained cuts from a sharp instrument and four of his teeth were missing and were likely the teeth they had located up on the landing on the floor. So Mary had died from the gunshot wound that they had clearly seen when they entered the home that she had sustained between her eyes. Her throat had also been slashed. They said that this bullet wound to the the head would have killed her immediately before she even hit the floor. So why the throat slashing? It's just beyond me. Why any of it? You know, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. But yeah, again, I say it all the time. Luckily, we can't understand this. So Michael died after being shot from close range in the head. After he was shot, he was bludgeoned with a heavy instrument. And again, that bowling trophy was next to him before his neck and chest had been punctured more than 90 times. Holy cow. I repeat, 9-0, close to 100 times. And we know we saw those scissors near his body. And he's what, 13 years old? 13. He was just, I think, it's still in junior high. Yeah. So he, they say that the medical examiner noted that these 90 stab wounds were very shallow. According to the medical examiner, it was their theory that this had likely been inflicted by a female because had a, maybe a stronger male. And I hate that like idea that, oh, females, we're so wimpy. But like, again, you're a lot heavier handed than I am. It's just biological. So biologically, they just assume that a female had inflicted these wounds to his body. Man, that's in like 90 times. You got to think of like, that's if I'd hate to like. Even think about how many. You know, if I'm doing that, just like the downward motion, you get like five, five stabs a second. If you're going really fast, like that's just somebody that's out of their gourd. Like it just straitjacket type stuff and again the gunshot wound to his head would have instantly killed him so why it's just beyond so a single foreign hair was also recovered from the front of michael's shirt during his autopsy based on the victim's stomach contents and the degree of rigor mortis the medical examiner estimated that the columbos had been um they were likely killed between 11 p.m on may 4th 1976 and 1 a.m on may 5th so this would have been two days before Frank's car had been located on May 7th in Chicago. Why 1 a.m.? Are you going to get into that? They This just what they deduce based on the findings of their body. Okay. Now, I did in one resource read that one of um, Mary's family members had spoken to her at like 6 a.m. on May 5th, that that was possible. So somewhere around the early morning hours of May 5th is what they were guessing. Well, and you're also wondering, did any neighbors hear gunshots? Because this is in Chicago. So there's a house basically close enough where you can hand sugar to the person's like, you know, uh, window. Well, this is in Elk Grove Village. Oh, it was. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're right. Okay. So I looked up this house. It's it's still there. People live in it. And I, I looked at that house and I was like, oh, it's such a it's such a pretty house but i'm like do the people who live in there know this story because from my understanding you don't have to disclose that something like this has happened unless the person asks the realtor and it's it's odd that this timing is because i'm actually reading a book right now it's a fictional book but the girl is like hearing strange things in her homes and she comes to find out that a family was massacred in her home and she's like oh my gosh the realtor never told me and she's like, well, I guess because I didn't ask. Right. So. Well, and uh, I'm back to the story. I was wondering. So you said the stab wounds are probably done by a female. So obviously you think of Patty right mm-hmm. away. Right. So I don't know how she was able to kill like all three members of her family, you know, like come up to her dad and probably just shot him Quickly, right away. Yep. You know. And then the mom, you know, you're, it's your own daughter. So she's probably like, what are you doing or whatever? Maybe. Well, 
Okay, so picture this. You're getting ready for bed. It sounds like Mary was in her bathroom because her things were in there. Her cigarettes were in there. Her purse was in there. She had a robe on. You could tell she turned her bed down. So you're up in your bathroom getting ready for bed. All of a sudden, you hear this loud sound that's not expected in your house. You're wondering what the hell is it? And you know how you stand and like think like, did I hear what I just heard? You think an electrical outage or something or, you know, is Frank okay? Oh, are you down there? Is so everything okay? then maybe they charged up the stairs and before Mary could even react, that's she got shot right in the, between the eyes yeah Ugh. so just absolutely horrible so anyway back to this house that i looked at you could tell the neighbors it was like a normal distance in a suburban neighborhood but from my understanding nobody heard a single thing and there's multiple gunshots right oh yeah because frank himself was shot four times and then michael was shot twice and mary was shot once okay so seven times yeah yeah at least because that's like just the ones that hit right So, in the meantime, the evidence technician for the Elk Grove Village PD was inspecting Frank's Thunderbird. They pried open the trunk. They noted smudges on the trunk that were visible from five feet away. Initially, they weren't sure, was it grease or was it blood? Because we do know that Frank owns an auto parts store. The smudges had unfortunately been contaminated. They were unable to be compared. Handprints were found on the fender and the trunk of the car, which came from the left hand of a person who was either missing their left index finger or just had not pushed down. But naturally, when you're touching something, your fingers are going to equally put pressure on an item. Especially if you're in like a stressful situation, like you just murdered somebody Mm -hmm. and whatever. So that was an interesting detail. So glass was noted inside the car, as well as takeout bags from a fast food restaurant, a white box from the back seat, a bloodied artificial plant stalk that was similar to the ones they saw those ferns laying around the house. Um, When glass fragments were analyzed, it was determined that they may have come from the broken lamp base that was found on the Columbo's living room floor. And again, they did say that that was likely the blunt object that was used to bludgeon Frank. So that same Saturday, less than five miles from Elk Grove Village, a Wooddale police officer who was responding to a report of Mary's missing car, which was located. um, So this was a 1972 Oldsmobile 98. It was in the parking lot of a condo complex. There was no damage or theft noted, and a resident of the complex um, indicated that when they left for work around 5.30 a.m. on May 5th, and again, they were estimated to be killed somewhere around 1 a.m. on May 5th. So at 5.30 a.m., that car was not there. So he got into his car. He went to work. When he came home at 5.30 p.m., then the Oldsmobile was there. Interesting. So it's just helping them to kind of narrow down when the family was killed. He put all these pieces together and try to figure it out. So when the car was examined, they found five fingerprints recovered, as well as two different brands of cigarette butts from the ashtray and a blue blanket on the back seat. They saw that there were red stains on the lining of the roof, so they did remove that. The funerals for Frank, Mary, and Michael Colombo were held on Monday, May 10th, 1976. As part of standard procedure in a homicide investigation, detectives planned to attend. They like to scope that out because, sickeningly enough, killers tend to want to come to these things. Oh, of course. They're sick enough to commit the murder. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they want to see their work and get off on whatever the hell they're getting off on. So they also brought along a young, handsome police officer, and they wanted to see Patty's reaction and her behavior towards this man. Because they knew she was already flirting in the police department. They know they're gonna she's going to flirt with this dude. Right. So when Patty arrived, officers noted that she brought her boyfriend, Frank DeLuca, to the service with her. It was said that DeLuca sat alone and off to the side while Patty openly flirted with this officer. Weird. Relatives who had yet to meet DeLuca just assumed that this was her boyfriend because of the way she was acting towards him. 
Frank Colombo's older brother, who lived only a block away from the Colombo's home, recalled arguing with Patty, who wanted her family to be cremated despite their Catholic beliefs and not wanting that. During the wake, Patty showed no visible signs of emotion or grief. And then I will tell you during the funeral that did switch. But in addition to flirting with the officer, detectives also noted that Patty laughed, joked, and smoked cigarettes outside the church. Once inside, she did throw herself, wailing at her family's slate gray coffins. Like, what a dum-dum. And I'm sorry to use such colored language. I mean, that is really vulgar. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you're trying to like, obviously, she had something to do with it, right? I know your story's getting to something and her and Frank and whatever, but like at least play the part man like just like put, try to get a, a shed a tear or something she's obviously a, probably a sociopath or whatever it might be um but that's just horrible horrible acting well and just like when the when they broke the news that her whole family was dead i mean at least pretend to be sad yeah instead you're just showing no sign of emotion and then flirting with a police officer well, like that's just thank not, god for stupid criminals yeah so, on, you know, it's so sad that the caskets couldn't even be opened during the, the wake and the funeral because of the extent of the family's, um, the, the abuse that they sustained. Mm-hmm. So as detectives looked into Patty's suggestion that Frank had mob ties, they found absolutely no evidence to suggest that this was true or the fact that he had been involved, involved in anything illegal. Well, so, because the mob paid him off, and obviously you, you look to the side. Yeah, but no. sure. But seriously, I, that's not a huge surprise. Well, yeah, but the fact of the matter is he had a completely clean slate. The odds of this being true, that that was the tie to their deaths, was not likely. So at this time, they began, of course, to turn their attention to Patty, Frank and Mary's firstborn. So Patty was born on June 21st, 1956. She had been the apple of her father's eye. He called her princess and he treated her like one. Patty remained the center of her parents' world for six years until Michael was born. And then, of course, just like any second-born child, you have to start to share the attention. Family and friends would later say that Patty had always been caring and maternal toward Michael, although others did describe her as resentful and jealous of the fact that she did have to share her father's attention with her brother. And who knows if that's coming from knowing what happened and Mm -hmm. being like, yeah, she was kind of a witch. Right. So as Patty reached adolescence, she grew into a beautiful young girl who attracted the attention of boys and men. She was known to be wild and uninhibited. Was she pretty? She was pretty. Okay as well as headstrong in personality. She dropped out of high school when she was only 16. She had also stolen the credit cards of two fellow employees at Walgreens where she worked at the cosmetic counter. She racked up thousands of dollars in charges on these people's credit cards. Wow. So her father made restitution to pay off the amount, but in July of 1974, she was convicted of deceptive practices. She was sentenced to two years probation. She was actually still on this probation at the time that her family was murdered. So during this time, she was dating Frank DeLuca, who was a Purdue University graduate with a pharmacy degree who had been working at Walgreens since either 1961 or 1962. By the time he met Patty in 1972, he had been promoted to the store manager. At this time, he was 36 years old. He was married. He was the father of five children and had a very known reputation around town to be a swinger. 16-year-old Patty, who is 20 years his junior, 16, just learning to drive a car. You know, this guy's 36 years old and has five kids and a wife. So she was not the first Walgreens employee that he had had an affair with, but she may have been the youngest that anyone could recall. It's basically a pedophile. Oh, completely. She's not an adult. She's 16. What a sicko. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So Patty was very open with DeLuca. She allowed him to have sex with other women as well as photograph and take videos. Now, I also want to clarify the fact that she's a child at this point. So he is a friggin' criminal in my mind. Absolutely. So it's, it's disgusting on his end. So Frank and Mary were unaware of this relationship. And in 1974, Patty informed her parents that she wanted to move out of their home and apparently she was telling them that she wanted to move into the DeLuca home. I'm not quite sure of the logistics there. And they didn't think that there was anything sexually going on with. Well, no, why would you? It's like, but you know, then why would he, why would she want to move into another family's home? Maybe freedom, you know, getting out of under her mom and dad's thumb. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. So regardless, Mary and Frank did not think there was anything creepy going on. They gave their blessing. Despite the fact that Frank DeLuca shared his home with his wife, Marilyn, and their children, Patty and Frank continued to have sex while Marilyn and the kids were either outside or in a different room. Frank and Mary eventually discovered that their daughter was involved with a much older man who was married with children, so they were immediately against this relationship. Sure. They were very upset and disappointed. So Patty lived with the DeLuca family for about a year before she returned to their family's home in the summer of 1975. She, at this point in time, told her father that she was done with Frank DeLuca. She wanted to start to live on her own. She wanted to find her own place. So her dad was likely just relieved that this relationship was over, but little did he know that his daughter was lying to his face. Uh. So Frank DeLuca had separated from Marilyn, and Patty was still very much involved with him. Frank Colombo helped Patty find an apartment in Lombard, Illinois, about 15 miles from Elk Grove Village, and agreed to even pay the rent for her. So it didn't take Frank long to realize, though, that he's paying for his daughter's rent, and this Frank DeLuca guy is living there. She's shacking up with Frank. Yes. So in August of 1975, one month before Marilyn DeLuca filed for divorce, Frank confronted his daughter and DeLuca at the Walgreens parking lot and ordered DeLuca to leave his daughter alone. The confrontation soon became violent when Frank Colombo pointed a rifle at DeLuca's head and shouted, I'm going to blow your head off. At this point, DeLuca crouched down and Frank bloodied his mouth with the butt of the rifle. He knocked DeLuca to the ground. When DeLuca attempted to stand up, Frank hit him for a second time with a rifle, this time in his stomach, and DeLuca claimed that Frank threatened, you're dead, you mother effer. So... Now, is that uh, overstepping? Maybe a little bit, but I think, you know, any kind of... Anybody that has a daughter, and if you could put yourself into that situation, some 36-year-old scumbag is trying to move in on your 16-year-old daughter for years now, and like mm-hmm. basically you know that he's ruining her life, and he doesn't care. He's just trying to get his jollies. Right. Um, you know, he's, he's just a sexual deviant, basically. And you're like, just, I, I don't want to kill you, man, but I'm going to. Like, if that's what it comes down to, I'll go to jail to try to save my daughter from your, your sickness. And obviously, you know, Patty's involved with this, but she's a 16-year-old, you mm-hmm. know, so that's... I, I I can't say that I would do the same, but I can see where he's coming from at the same time. And you have to imagine, Frank Colombo is not that much older than Frank DeLuca. Frank DeLuca is 36 and Frank Colombo is 43. Yeah. So and he's after his 16-year-old child of a daughter. They're who's, the same generation, you know? You know, I always just think, like, this girl is, like, just learning to be able to even drive. And this sicko is, you know, preying on her. Basically the age of her dad. Yes, completely. 
So Patty filed a complaint and Frank was charged with assault and was arrested, but soon Patty did withdrew the complaint. So, or withdraw, excuse me, withdraw the complaint. No big deal. So once Frank was released from jail, he started to make plans to disown his daughter. The Columbos had little to no contact with Patty until the late winter or early spring of 1976. And of course, this is like shortly before they were killed. So this is when they began to reconcile as they learned that Patty and DeLuca planned to get married. DeLuca's divorce was set to be finalized at the very end of May. They were planning to get married in early June. I believe the date was like June 5th. So it's like, boom, divorce, boom, married. Is this even legal? I I don't know. They probably got to get the signature of Patty's parents. In 1976, I don't know if that was... So according to DeLuca, Mary and Frank accepted their relationship at this point and even planned to give them a washer and a dryer as a wedding present. So who knows? Maybe Mary and Frank were just like, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to not have a relationship with mm -hmm. our daughter or at least have a minimal relationship? Yeah, she's going to be there regardless. I still want to like talk to her, whatever. Yeah, it's it's not a good situation. So on May 12th, 1976, fingerprints were taken from Patty and DeLuca. It was then that police noted that DeLuca was missing the index finger and tip of his middle finger on his left hand. There you go. So we do know that that handprint they saw was missing that print. So no wounds were noted to either of the couple's hands at this point, but this is days and days after. And I will tell you there were witnesses that... Right after the Columbos were killed, Frank DeLuca had cuts all over his hand. So at this point, they're healed. So on May 14th, detectives spoke with 25-year-old Lanyon or Lanny Mitchell, who was a car salesman that had first met Patty in September of 1975 through one of her friends. Lanny indicated that he offered Patty money to go out with his friend, who was 34-year-old Roman Sabinski, but Patty told him that she was living with her boyfriend, but at the same time, she did need the money. So she told Lanny about her father striking DeLuca in the head with a rifle. In October, Lanny and his friend Roman met up with Patty at the Warehouse Lounge. They drank, they danced, and Patty also discussed the animosity between her parents and DeLuca. Here she expressed her desire to have them killed. Lanny told Patty that he would kill them for $10, or I'm sorry, $10, $10,000 each or 20000 total. So while speaking with the police, Lanny assured them that he had absolutely no intention of killing her parents. Bullshit, man. You offered the <clears throat> money, right? I mean, did Lanny, Lanny was the one telling them this? That I Lanny, did tell her 10000 Lanny contacted police or talked with police about this whole situation. He's okay. like, yes, I did tell her I was I would do it for, you know, killing them both for 20000 I was trying to just impress Patty so that she would have sex with me. Sure. That's what he's telling police. Well, I mean, he did. Uh, we kind of glossed over that he offered patty money to meet up with them right yeah <laughs> that was kind of weird that's like, weird right hey how about like 20 bucks to hang out with me and my friend it's like well at that point you're a prostitute patty okay <laughs> i know i don't you call it what you will <laughs> but so lanny told police that patty called him multiple times during october of 1975 asking him when are you going to kill my parents so he stalled by asking her for information about their schedules or whereabouts and activities Patty gave him a floor plan drawing of the family's home and told them about their safe, their CB radio, furs, diamonds. What a nut job, man. And also, this is a tremendous opportunity for Lanny to get $5,000 up front and then just kind of skip town. Yeah, like, see you later, Patty. Right, Bye-bye. right. Like 10000 each, 20 grand total. Mm-hmm. So give me 10000 now and then the mm-hmm. rest afterwards and just leave or whatever. So as November arrived, Patty demanded to know when Lanny planned to kill her parents and said she wanted it done sometime around Christmas. 
Roman Sabinski spoke with Lanny and was told about their agreement and demanded upfront payment to continue with the plan. Boom. So Patty said she would not pay him until after they were killed, but she would have sex with both of them in exchange for a prepayment. And I they both agreed. I guess it depends how hard up you are, and it <laughs> sounds like they were. So afterwards, Patty gave Lanny photos of her family and a rundown of their schedules. Oh, and just to be clear, um, <clears throat> having sex with people for murder is also uh, prostitution. Mm-hmm. So yep. in case you're wondering at home. So in early December, Patty and Lanny went to the Colombo house since Patty wanted him to case the house so that he was ready for the actual job. So as they arrived, unexpectedly, it seems like, Mary answered the door. Lanny panicked and he left and drove down the street and waited for Patty. When she met back up with him, Patty said, oh, we had argued about DeLuca. She wanted them killed that very night. She's like, well, I was in there speaking with my mom. I left the patio door unlocked so you can go back in tonight and do it. So January of 1976 came around and a hit had yet to be complete. So Patty informed the men that her brother Michael was also going to have to be murdered. Jesus H. So initially she only wanted her parents killed. But as the wheels in her demented head are spinning, now her 13-year-old brother has to be taken out because she was fearful that he would later on figure things out and put the pieces together. No, the cops will because you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. And you... <laughs> Oh, God. There's always a better way, folks. If you're even remotely considering killing somebody, don't do it. So later that month, Patty told Lanny that she, yet again, I left the patio door unlocked, and that both she and DeLuca were getting very anxious to have this done. In mid-March, Lanny called Patty and asked her about the upfront money. She told them that both she and DeLuca did not have the money and questioned him about when the hits would happen. So it sounds like, because they don't have money. It sounds to me that she was assuming she was going to get this windfall of money from her parents and her family's death, and then she would pay them. That's my understanding. So Lanny reinforced to police that he was absolutely not the hitman. He never had any intention of killing Frank, Mary, or Michael. He said he had only been stringing Patty along for sex and money. Detectives went and picked up Roman Sabinski, who was a recruiting officer for the Cook County Department of Personnel. Uh-oh. He himself was married and had three children. The police held him until 5 or 6 a.m. the next morning, but he refused to talk. Detectives spoke with Mary Colombo's sister, who is Carolyn Tigret. She recalled visiting Mary in late 1975 or early 1976. During the time of their visit, Patty showed up. She said she was there to pick some things up, but she left empty-handed. And when she had left, Mary noticed that the previously locked sliding door was now unlocked. So she just made note of that. She's like, yeah, Mary just locked the door again, and that was it. But it was obvious that Patty had gone there to unlock that door. So in May, on May 15th, 1976, just before 7 a.m., seven officers from the Cook County Sheriff's Department went to Patty and DeLuca's Lombard apartment with a search warrant. They were both arrested and charged with conspiracy, solicitation, and the murders of Frank, Mary, and Michael. DeLuca, for whatever reason, was released two days later on the 17th, but Patty was held. On the day that she was brought in, she gave a written and verbal statement admitting to the fact that she had solicited the two men to murder her family, but she claimed that they were she was completely unaware that they had actually done it. She's like, no, I didn't know they actually did it. So she first denied knowing Lanny at all, but then she was brought to the room where he was being held at the station. Like, eh, really, you don't know this guy? 
So she told officers that she did not believe that Lanny had killed her family. Well, it's interesting. You know, you got to, I guess, listen to the person that's telling you the truth. Lanny is like, yeah, I definitely said I would do it for 10 grand. And, you know, at first I said BS, but this guy seems very forthcoming. He's yeah. like, I was always only going to do it for sex. It was always like, no, and I, I wanted something else. I wasn't murdering anybody. Mm-hmm. I wasn't murdering anybody, <laughs> you know, in the 1970s. That's how you picture. So, and then she's the one that Patty's the one that's lying to everybody. Right. So when officers asked Patty about the schedule that she had given Lanny about her parents' whereabouts and when to expect them to be home and whatnot, she claimed that she had only done it because she was forced to at gunpoint. She said she was also forced to have sex with him. She said she hadn't gone to the police at that point because she assumed they would uncover all the evidence themselves and that she was in fear of her own life. Uh-huh. On May 26, Roman Sabinski was offered immunity from the state in return for testifying against Patty and then eventually DeLuca. He corroborated everything that Lanny had told police and said that he had spoken with DeLuca on the phone. He claimed that Frank Colombo had taken a contract out on him and Michael Colombo would also have to be killed. So on July 17, 1976, Frank DeLuca was arrested yet again for the second time. He was brought into the Cook County Jail to await his trial. His cellmate for the next six months, Clifford Childs, claimed that DeLuca bragged that he had can- he himself had come up with the perfect plan to kill the Colombo family. He personally shot each family member himself. He said that Patty planned to meet her parents on Tuesday, May 4th at 8 p.m. with the intent of reconciling the relationship, and DeLuca delayed his arrival to the house till 10 p.m. so that he can establish an alibi at Walgreens, so that he could say, oh, yeah, I was in contact with this employee who closes out. He confirmed that, oh, yeah, we're successfully closed out for the night. So it wasn't me. I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. So when he arrived, Frank Colombo answered the front door, and as he turned to walk up the stairs, DeLuca shot him in the back of the head with a thirty-two caliber revolver. Why was he turning around to go upstairs? To maybe to go get his wife? Yeah, I'm not quite sure why. Okay. I'm probably to say, hey, come on over. Mm-hmm. Frank Colombo's here. Or, yeah. I'm sorry, Frank DeLuca's here. Frank DeLuca. He's here to talk and whatever. So after he shot uh, Frank Colombo, he shot Mary next. In the meantime, Patty went up to Michael's room where he was sleeping, She and DeLuca forced him to stand up, and DeLuca shot him in the head. In the attempt to stage the house like a robbery, you know, this is where they kind of messed up the house. They, like, tore these ferns apart, like the garbage on the floor. Real quick, if I can, how do you go up to your brother's room, sleeping brother, say, wake up? And he's like, no, what's happening? Like, get up, get up. And you know he's going to be shot as soon as he, like, you're an absolute monster criminal a-hole that should be wiped from the earth. That's insane. It's it's really it's hard to wrap your head around because of course I'm researching this you know throughout the whole week and whatnot and just trying to picture how how much of a monster you have to be to do such a thing. I mean to do it to your own parents is beyond, but to your 13 year old brother who's in middle school, like I an mean, innocent kid, man. And exactly, he was an innocent kid. He had nothing to do with anything. So she, uh, they did take a few things. They took $150 in cash, some jewelry, and a few household appliances that they then placed into Frank's Thunderbird. They drove the car to the spot that it was ultimately found, and they left expecting that the car would be broken into, as they often do tend to be in Chicago. People are stripping these cars. So they wanted the police who found the car to think, oh, this is all tied together. Whoever, you know, robbed this car killed the family. Yeah. So um, DeLuca explained to Clifford Childs that he had been at the Colombo home for no more than 25 minutes during this whole 
whole massacre and that he had worn gloves. He said he went as far as to stuff the index finger of the glove where his finger was missing. But obviously, putting stuffing in there isn't going to be enough pressure to leave a mark. Uh, smart of him, I guess. Well, at least he tried. Yeah. Not that I give a shit. No, that, that we're commending this asshole. Yeah. So Childs would later testify in September of 1976 that DeLuca told him that there were also two witnesses that were were employed at Walgreens that he needed to have killed. He asked because Childs was there for armed robbery in prison and he was going to be getting out soon. So he asked if Childs could arrange a hit and he agreed if DeLuca paid bail money, which would cost more than it. So anyway, he's he's basically giving the same price tag as Lanny, $10,000 a hit for each person, 20000 total. So he gave a detailed description of these witnesses. And the reason why he wanted these people off was because they were witnesses. Like the, he told them things. Yeah. All about what well, he had me. done. Maybe just don't tell people stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have to kill so many people. So one of the women that was at Walgreens had had an affair with him in the past before he had met patty he had also given a description of their schedules directions to their homes deluca's ex-wife marilyn was the one that was to bail childs out so he was obviously you know very much in touch with marilyn so he would then abduct and kill both witnesses he would bury their bodies in indiana so on november 25th 1976 marilyn set sent two money orders totaling just over 3400 to Childs and another 830 On February 24th, 1977, Marilyn picked Childs up. She drove him to her home where she paid him another 1300 in cash plus the use of DeLuca's car. At this point in time, Marilyn herself was not doing well financially. But, you know, it sounds like she was just under her ex-husband's control and she was doing what he wanted and was told that she would be compensated back again. I don't know that she had any information about her ex wanting to off these two Walgreens employees. So just like Lanny and Robin Sabinski, Clifford Child said that he never had any intention of offing these two Walgreens employees. He said, I was just using DeLuca for financial benefits. So just over a year after her family had been murdered, Patty and Frank DeLuca went to trial and chose trial by jury. The trial included testimonies from Lanny Mitchell, Roman Sabinski, Clifford Childs, as well as these two Walgreens employees that he had clearly told them what he was doing and what he did do. So um, Joy Hasek is the person that was in the previous relationship with DeLuca from Walgreens. This was one of the people he was going to off. She said that she had met him through work and um, testified that DeLuca spoke of his plans to have the family killed between November of 1975 and April of 1976 and told her that, you know, that when the hit actually happened. She said that she really did want to call the Colombo family and warn them, but she's assuming, she said, I didn't call them because I thought they think I was crazy. Sure, and then it's like it never happens, and then you're looked into, and you got cops on you and stuff. But this would have been before they were killed. Yeah, it would have been nice to know. Yeah. Uh, Maybe send like a letter, you know, so you're not, (laughs) just put it in the mailbox or something. So according to this witness, she had said that it was Frank's intention to kill them so that they would get all their money. He would finally have the money to pay off his ex-wife's mortgage, and then they could sail around the world. She considered, again, calling the uh, the the people. Okay, so now an assistant manager from Walgreens. This is the other person he wanted to off. This is Hubert Green. He testified that DeLuca had openly discussed having the Colombo family murdered. He is one that he saw him cut, come in. He said he did it. His cuts were all over his hands. 
Um, and he had told him, you know, I actually did it. I murdered them. Green said he hadn't gone to the police since he was fearful for his own his own family's safety. So after a few hours of deliberation, the jury came back with a guilty verdict on all charges. Judge Eugene Pinsham sentenced both Patty and DeLuca to two to three hundred years <laughs> on each of the three murder counts. That's awesome. Patty was given an additional 20 to 50 years on the solicitation to commit murder, while DeLuca was given an additional 10 to 50 years. These were to run concurrently with their sentence. This is on top of the two to 300 years? Yes, but in it's going to run together. Okay. So a month after his conviction, DeLuca moved for a new trial on July 24th, 1977. Patty filed a motion for a new trial August 8th, 1977. Both of these motions were denied. Like I, How do these people, how are they allowed to you know have these motions and these appeals and all this stuff it's just like we've got you Mm -hmm. you clearly killed these people let's stop pussyfooting around over here you're staying in jail for a long time like that's it's mind-boggling i get it for the people that might not be guilty you know you want to give them another shot in case new evidence shows up but they're just trying to get off on some like little thing yeah like oh the mishandling of evidence i now i don't have to go to jail well like there was brought up about oh when they first entered my apartment they didn't have a warrant at that time like you said they're trying to find a loophole yeah and i get it it's uh, that's it's so hard to be a police officer and do your job like correctly so they again in 1983 they tried to file another appeal again denied in october of 1977 frank deluca was sent to the dixon correctional center to serve out his sentence and after 1986 he had no disciplinary infractions or tickets so he was you know a model prisoner oh good Good for him. Yeah. He's such a good guy. What a great guy. Mm, great guy. So under Illinois law, both he and Patty became eligible for parole after serving only 12 years. How in the hell does that happen? How like It's so useless to have a 300-year penalty when you're going to let him out, possibly in 12. I mean, I guess they have to appeal, right? Or put out the... They come to the before the parole board, yes. Yeah. And I guess from what I read, it was like every one to five years after that point, they would be up for parole. Because I remember like some big serial killers doing parole stuff. And it's like, are you kidding? No. Right. Get back in your uh, jail. So in a parole hearing in May of 2014, DeLuca told the Illinois Prisoner Review Board that he had no expectation of being paroled and what he and Patty did was horrendous and that they should never leave prison. So he himself is saying this. Oh, that's good. The court noted his poor health. He had hip and prostate issues. He walked with a cane. Good. I hope his hip and prostate are rotting. Right. From the inside. So his parole was denied due to the heinous... Heinous. Heinous? <laughs> Penis. Whoa, something on your mind. Heinous, thank you. Due to the heinous nature of the crime and the parole for DeLuca would be, it would basically, if he was allowed out, it would depreciate the seriousness of the offense and promote disrespect for the law. So Frank DeLuca passed away in prison on Wednesday, January 4th of this year, 2023. Good, good riddance. So he was about 86 years old when he died. He looked like the crypt keeper. And hopefully he died, went straight to hell. Wow. Right away. Well, he would have been on the fast track. Yep. The the express train to hell. What about this piece of shit, Patty? So he and Patty, once they were sentenced in 1977, they never, ever had any um, interactions because they were sent to two different prisons. Patty was sent to Dwight Correctional Center in October of 1977 to serve out her sentence. In 1979, she was implicated in a prison prostitution scheme. Oh, so she does it on the outside <laughs> yeah. and on the inside. Yeah, she likes that. Yeah. She, she's the type of person that if she's not getting attention from men, like she doesn't know what to do with herself also very entrepreneurial always 
always looking to make money. So basically what she was doing was organizing sexual acts between the female prisoners and the correction officers. Nice. So she also collected many infarctions and tickets while she was in prison. Infractions. Infarctions like a, a heart attack. <laughs> Mario, Mario, myocardial infarction. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah. So she did go on to earn several degrees during her prison uh, sentence. So she got she nothing was, else to do, right? She earned a secretarial science degree, an applied science degree in computer programming, an associate's degree in art from Joliet Junior College, or JJC, as us Illinoisans like to say. She got this degree in 1981. She received her bachelor's degree in 1991 from Illinois State University. She went on to work with various programs. Group supporters would often submit letters or speak on her behalf of her good work at parole hearings to try to boost her ability to get out. Why? Like, what the hell's I, wrong with Because they're like, people? look at her. She's been rehabilitated. She's helping people. I mean, I guess that's good. In 2011, she was accepted at Leslie's House, which is a transitional house on the west side of Chicago that helps female inmates to transition back into society. Ironically, this location was only two and a half miles from where her father's Thunderbird had been dropped off. Wow. So like DeLuca, Patty's paroles have been denied because of the seriousness of her offense. I will say this. She's probably not going to kill somebody else, but you know, you can't really let somebody out because of a probably because this is her family. You know, like she wanted to kill her own family as crazy and nut jobby as she is. Uh, I, I would not guess that, you know, if she is rehabilitated to an extent, she maybe won't do it again. But again, you can't let her out on a maybe. Mm-hmm. So at this point in time, she is 67 years old. She is incarcerated at the Logan Correction Center, Correctional Center. Well, Patty, hopefully you're listening to this and I uh, hope you rot in that jail or prison or whatever correctional facility you're in. Right. And, you know, it's like, OK, great. So you've got all these hours to your disposal while you're in prison. So you're going ahead and getting these degrees. You're you're participating in programs. But I don't think that that should take away from what she did to her family. Right. It's just sickening. So I think she's where she should be. Yeah. I mean, she could maybe make a case if she didn't kill her own brother. I mean, not not even close, really. I'm just trying to, like, you know, brainstorm here. But killing, making sure that her dad and mom and brother are all killed, like, that's just sick. Yeah. And I don't know what their relationship was like throughout her, like, early teens and such. Obviously, they were supporting her. Frank was paying for her apartment in Lombard. Yeah. You know, I what goes on that would make a person do something like this? Mental instability. And yeah. that's, pro- that's something that's really hard to fix. You know, I don't know. I don't know how. And that, that's crazy. So, sadly, that is the story of the Colombo family massacre. Oh, thank you very much, poor Colombo family. I mean, I guess this tells you, if somebody tells you about some kind of crime mm-hmm. they committed, like Frank Colombo, or De, De, sorry, DeLuca, was saying to his Walgreens associates, it's like, you got to get out there and tell somebody because something bad could happen. Yeah. And it's just sad because so many people were privy to the fact that they talked about doing this well before it was done. Obviously, Lanny and Roman, they knew as well as the Walgreens employees. He, I'm not saying it's their fault. No. But if you hear something, say something. If you see something, say something. You know, she might think, oh, if I call the Columbos and be like, oh, you know, Frank DeLuca wants to have you killed. Maybe they would still be alive today. Right. Well, sorry for the Colombo family and everybody involved in all their family. Um, I want to say thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing here, there's plenty more available on Patreon.com. So you can go ahead and for as little as five bucks, become a patron, get access to a ton of new episodes, some which are m- much better than we say here, I would say. Uh, I definitely like to leave some good ones for yeah. our people that, you know, there's a good balance. really support us. But there's I'm not saying you guys don't support us. That's not what I'm saying. Not at all. So anyways, we want to say welcome to the Crime and Coffee Couple Club to Megan, Karen, 
Amy, Margarita, Joker or Jokar, uh, Aza or Isa, uh, Victoria, Emma, Sean, Hannah, Ashley, Christy, and Hannah. So I think this might be the best week ever as far as patrons are concerned, as far as number of patrons. So thank mm-hmm. you guys so much. It's like such an honor. You know, when Allison's doing her hours and hours of research every week, I swear to gosh, uh, we're sitting on the, the couch and I'm just looking at you. You're just tip typing away. Tip, 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 tip. That's actually yeah. what it sounds like. Last night I, th- I came home from work and I think I did another five hours of research, but I love every second of it. And I can't tell you guys how much we appreciate all of you for listening, for supporting us. I mean, it's just beyond. We're a little mom and pop podcast over here that are growing thanks to people like you. So please tell your coworkers and, you know, whether you can support us financially or not, you know, just t- tell people about us and it really helps spread yeah. the word. So thank you so, so much. So thank you guys so much much and until next oh, wait, wait, time wait 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 oh, one oh. more thing i want everybody to know that's listening to this if the chicago bears have beaten the green bay packers in week one of the nfl your buddy boy right here mike is very happy so just know that and now if they lost i'm probably pretty sad so feel you, bad you'll for be me. okay yeah, I, I i'll get through i'm so making no. some ham and cheese sliders i'm making some queso dip for the game so you're gonna be just fine okay that sounds good okay. now you can do your thing and until next time bye, bye.